Man, go ahead, have a seat if you're here for the first, second, or third time, or you've just never filled out that Get Connected card. Uh, you got about 20 minutes to do it. Uh, don't worry about the boxes, the baskets flying by before you can do that. As you walk out today, uh, there'll be some really nice people on your right. Before you get to the food, uh, just drop off your Get Connected card there, and we've got a gift for you. Just our little way of saying thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's Thanksgiving Sunday here at Mountain View Sunnyside. If you're like, that's really early. I'm gone next week for Thanksgiving. That's why. It's so that uh, we can celebrate while people are still here. That's a big deal for us. Uh, And Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. Halloween begins this trajectory, this upward slope of people showing up at your house expecting things. Right? They, they dress up, they knock on the door, you open the door, and they want candy. Uh, my five-year-old, he got a pencil at one house on Halloween. He was not excited about that, and he told the homeowner, this isn't what you're supposed to do. Uh, so Halloween, people show up, uh, and they or Thanksgiving, people show up, and they expect food. Christmas, they show up, they expect really good food and really amazing presents. And so in my mind, Halloween is like that perfect middle, or not Halloween, Thanksgiving is like that perfect middle between lots of work, uh, and not a ton of work. And for me, it's not a lot of work because I'm never in the kitchen. Things work better when I'm not in the kitchen. I believe that ribs are the cornerstone of Thanksgiving. I am thankful for them. Uh, so I barbecue ribs outside, avoid the turkey because, let's be honest, uh, and, and, then, uh, and so I'm never in the kitchen. For some of you who are already thinking about Thanksgiving kitchen and having family over and and the fights that usually involve that, the first thing that we're going to talk about about from the life of Jesus, what we're going to look at in this instance of the life of Jesus is 100% for you. You have taken nothing out of the oven. You haven't even thawed your turkey yet. That is okay because all of us are already loved and valued by God. Regardless of where the scope of Thanksgiving dinner being done, not done, still frozen, wherever that is for you, you're already loved and valued by God. We're going to look at a story from the life of Jesus where he takes that idea, that idea that all of us, just because we have a pulse as we sit here today, we are already loved and valued by God. And he's going to push it to the limit of what everybody else thinks is acceptable and good. And then he's going to go about 10,000 miles beyond that to show us how much we matter to him regardless of what's going on in our life. And he does this because all of us have an innate ability to assign value, worth, and security to people. Just from the moment you look at people, this is is for all of us. We've all got like radars in our heads that go off, trustworthy, not trustworthy, uh, dangerous, not dangerous, whatever. But Jesus takes this and immediately in this story he shows that everyone to him has value. Everyone to him has worth. Everyone to him has meaning. And it says in Luke 15, which is where we're going to be, uh, it was on the screen a little while ago. If you've got your Bible, you can go there now. If not, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and you can listen, uh, and that's going to be great. Verse 1, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. So in that culture, tax collectors were like the absolute worst of sinners. And so below them is everybody else. So all these horrible people, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. We're like, great, that sounds good. We are in favor of that. Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So there's this tension there, right? There's a tension between the church people and, you know, the people who already know all the rules and already know what God is supposed to be like. And then you have God with skin on, Jesus, and he's surrounded by all these people that the uptight church people are like, this is not supposed to be that way. So if you're here and you're thinking you're one of those people and, like, what are you going to do when you walk into Mountain View Sunnyside? It's your first Sunday. Are they going to judge you? Are you going to whatever? 
Right now, you're sitting here, you're peaceful. I pray that you've already experienced God's love as you walk in. And for us church people who are like, this is what we do, our job is to be nice today. Our job is to not fall into the story. Our job is to learn what Jesus has to say. And so what Jesus is going to do is going to shine light on the fact that people matter, but it goes way beyond that. And he's going to do that by telling a story. Jesus tells stories. The Bible calls them parables. What it is in short is it's a small story with a massive impact. And so the story that we're going to look at today is something that takes our minds and just runs it and gives us a perspective, gives us a heart of how God wants us as a Sunnyside Church community, how God wants us to live and us to view people and see people. So Jesus has got some work to do. And so Jesus tells them a story. It's like, this is how I'm going to shape your minds. This is how I'm going to shape your thoughts about how people are and how I am toward people. He's going to do it through a story. We still love stories. People in Jesus' day loved stories. Uh, and so these are three stories that, that shape so much for us and give us hope. If a man had 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what would he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or, he's got another story, he wants to build on the last one. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. There's something here that Jesus wants to communicate. He's going right at the idea of the religious people that this is just for us. And he's going right at the idea of anyone who think that they're an outsider to him. And he's saying, I've got love for you. I've got new life for you. I've got restoration for you. And he does this. The reason that he wants to go at everyone at the same time is that we all have an amazing ability to sell ourselves on really bad ideas. We all have an amazing ability to sell ourselves on really bad ideas. For, so we are all in this, right? For me, for all of us, we see something that we like, and our inner attorney begins to tell us all the ways that this can be ours. And the worse the thing is, the more dishonest the, the little inner attorney becomes. And any time that we ever step into something that is going to be a bad idea, we believe a number of lies. And the truth about that for all of us is that as we look at our lives, as we look at the decisions that we've made and the impact of all of those, all of us have willingly been the mastermind of our own bad decisions. All of us have willingly been the mastermind of our own bad decisions. We tuned into the wrong attorney, we took the wrong advice, and it went something Similar that if a salesperson had ever said it to you, ever said to you the things that you and I say to ourselves right before a horrible decision, we'd straight up walk out of the store. We would hang up the phone. We might drop the gloves and go at it or at least shut the door and say, go to my neighbor's house. They're terrible. They'd love to be with you. But, but all of us have an amazing ability to sell ourselves on bad ideas, some of which we have mastermind ourselves. And that's what's going to happen. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. 
basically the son goes to the dad and says, I'm sick of waiting around for you to die and give me my money and I'll leave. Because somewhere along the line, there was some point in his head where he said, you know what? I'd rather my dad be dead and I get his money than still have a relationship with him. Right? It's a salesperson. If somebody actually came up to him, you know what? You just wish your dad was dead and you just got his money, right? Like, that'd be offensive. That'd be rude. He would be offended. He wouldn't continue to listen to that. But instead, he listened to what is in his head. For all of us, we're no different, okay? We look at something in the store. If there is an employee that walked up to us and said, you know what? You don't really look like you like that, but you just really want to spend money today. So buy this thing, and if you don't like it, you just take the Salvation Army in two weeks. That's okay. Just give us your money, take the thing, take the Salvation Army in two weeks. Like, we wouldn't be okay with that. Or if we're looking at something, maybe it's on Amazon or whatever, and a chat starts from Jeff Bezos, fan of Amazon. He's like, hey, person, you already have one of these. It's downstairs. It's in the garage. It's under that tarp that you haven't moved in like six years, and it still works. But this one is newer. This one is cooler. This one is Bluetooth, so you no longer have to plug it in, man. It's going to be perfect. Buy this one instead. You don't need to use the one that you already have that is free and lives in your garage. Or it's something else. And since we're all the mastermind of all of our own bad decisions, we all play the role of the guy who's like, I'm just going to tell my dad, how about you die? Give me your money now. The person walks up to us, puts their arm around us, and says, you know what this thing that we're about to do? It is really bad. So how about we tell no one? Right? All of us would run from that. We'd be like, this is really, really bad. Or you're out shopping. You see those things, whatever they are. And your friend says to you, you know what? Your husband would be furious if you spent money on this, but he's too stupid to find out. So let's just do it, right? Like, that would be bad. We would all say that'd be bad. Or to throw it around the other way, the woman on the screen, she is much more attractive than your girlfriend, but the woman on the screen has never yelled at you. So let's keep doing this, right? Like, all these things are bad, and I'm 100% guilty. So we were at uh, some friend's house a while ago, and I love spicy food. Uh, It's like, that's my love language, okay? It's just... 100% 100% spice all the time. Uh, and she likes spicy food too. And so this was there. And it was to be mixed with pho soup. Uh, and it said very hot. Like she even put a sign for all of her, me and the rest of the guests. This is very hot. So for me, for like a decade plus, very hot has meant like adequately spicy. I'm okay with this. So I got my soup and I got a spoon of the very hot. Everybody else is like taking like ink droppers like Like, that's all, and they're good. I'm like, we're taking the spoon, we're putting it in there, because I am a man, and I don't do little "Eh, spice. Like, it's okay. Like, I'm going to be fine. And so I mix it up, and I take a bite, and I realized I had made a disastrous mistake. Okay, water starts coming out of everywhere. I haven't cried that much uh, since USC decided to keep their coach. Uh, it was a bad moment for me. I was dying. And the people that, that like, were hosting us could see this and like, you can just go dump it out. It's okay. You made a horrible decision. It said very hot. It was put there by somebody who knows what hot food is. And I'm like, I am fine. Spoon in the bowl. Let's go. And I'm crying for all that. And I mean, like, you zoom in on the cup, okay? Zoom in. Never mind. Okay. That's not a trustworthy look right there, okay? She's smiling because she's like the bald guy. He's about to die. He makes really bad decisions, and he's going to pay for it. Look, there's even a sign right there, but he doesn't care. He's going to do it anyway. And so the son goes to his father, 
And the woman is still there. She's like, he's going to make a really bad decision. I just know it. And the son says to his father, I'd, I'd rather not wait till you die. Give me my money now. So the guy gets his money. And a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money on wild living. About the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. You know, it's hot sauce all over again where bad decisions come back to physically hurt us, but it's not just a, a spicy, temporary, you know, you can get a new bowl in five seconds. It's a level where our pain, the decisions that we make, begin to hurt us personally and separate us from God. Our bad decisions, if we're speaking spiritually, our sin hurts us personally and separates us from God. You know, it's more than hot sauce. It's relationships. We look at our own lives and and if we're honest for a second, there have been relationships that no longer exist because of things that we have done, because things that we have said, because promises that we have broken, because of, of things that we have done to betray other people's confidences. And just as we have horizontal relationships with other people that are broken and eventually die because of our sin, we have a vertical relationship with God the Father. And when we sin, we are breaking relationship with God the Father. For us who are Christians, we know this. This is part of us becoming Christians is dealing with that. For those of us uh, here who aren't Christians, this gives you a window into how we think. We look at sin as something that's not just cute and you talk about sin and whatever, but it's something that damages us, that hurts us and explains so much of what goes on in the world around us. That we live in a world that is broken by sin and we are the causes of that. Even in our own life so many times, we are the causes of the dead relationships. And so the son is there realizing that he has a dead relationship at this point. And he's told his dad, I don't want to be around you anymore. I want you to die. I just want your money. He goes out, he spends his money, all the money, and now he's broke and he's starving. And as he begins to starve, he persuades a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him out into his field to feed the pigs. At this point, Jesus telling the story to a bunch of people who understood that pigs represented what's dirty, represent what's sinful, that no good person would ever want to be around pigs. I was talking to a guy during, uh, during the meal first service. He said, you know what? For years, I was a hog farmer, and they smelled horrible. I'm so glad that I'm out of that life now. And what we see in this story is a guy who spent his way into a life surrounded by pigs, surrounded by pig mess. And everyone in the story, everyone who's hearing the story of Jesus telling us takes a sharp inhale and realizes this guy has messed up everything. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am, I'm dying of hunger. I'm going to go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. Sin is breaking relationship with God, and, and us, we're here because there, like as we sit here, there are a number of relationships in our own lives that we have broken. A number of dead relationships that exist because all of us, have done stuff to hurt people. We've been hurt by other people. This is part of life. And so God speaks into it. And the first thing that we see from God, the thing that changes the story and shapes the story so much for all of us, 
is that on God's page, we never stand in the place of a dead relationship. That as God looks at you and me this morning, regardless of what we're carrying in here, God doesn't look at us as might as well be dead. He doesn't look at us as dead to him. He doesn't look at us as a disaster. He doesn't look at us as a rap sheet of regrets and a list of reasons that he has no reason to chase after us. He doesn't look at us in that. I think for us who who are here and call yourself Christians, that's part of the way that God shapes us over time is that he keeps us soft to the fact that there are good people in our world that don't know Jesus and that's a bad thing. And so the longer we spend life with God, our hearts need to stay continuously soft and more soft and more soft to people who don't know Jesus. And that idea, that idea about waiting and giving and investing and spending our energy to see people meet Jesus is what shapes the rest of the story. Because God will never be on our dead relationship list. Because there's always a desire in his life to see relationship happen with us. And through Jesus, God chases us, offering us life instead of death. For us as Christians, we love the cross. If you're not a Christian, you understand that that's what about Christians. They, they love the cross. And for us, that's the symbol of our relationship with God. That exists because God loves us. Because he loved us before we loved him. Because at the very beginning, when God saw us from the very beginning, he didn't see reasons not to like us. He didn't see our struggles. He didn't see our addictions. He didn't see the things that we were going to do that were going to mess up everything around us. He saw a son or a daughter that he loved. And he hasn't changed that. He hasn't changed that even when us in our own lives, we, we fight against that. We insist on doing things our way. We say that I'm going to live the way that I want to. I'm going to spend the way that I want to. I'm going to talk the way that I want to. I'm going to eat and treat my body the way that I want to. I'm going to do sexuality the way that I want to. And when we do that against the way that God created us to, that's called sin and that pushes us away from other people and it pushes us away from God. And so what God did that was so foundational, it was so world-changing, was as we had pushed ourselves away, God took on skin to bring us back to himself. Jesus came and lived as a human, lived better than we could ever live. So he could trade his perfect life for our completely broken and imperfect life. So he could trade relationships with us, that he takes the punishment that we deserve and we get the right standing good forever love with Jesus, love with God that Jesus deserves. That happened on the cross. That's the symbol of God chasing after us. And what Jesus does is Jesus puts a picture, Jesus puts a story to what does it look like for God to chase after people? What does it look like for God to chase after you as you walk in here today carrying who knows what? What you don't carry is a dead to me sign on your chest where God looks at you and says, no thanks. Instead, you carry his image he looks at you and he says, that's my son or that's my daughter. And so the son, he walks back. Everyone's wondering what's going to happen. You know, the ta tax collectors and sinners, they're saying, okay, what's going to happen? Is he going to experience the love of God? The religious people are saying, is he going to experience the punishment, the wrath that needs to happen? While he's still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. 
You know, a number of things could have happened right here. But what happens instead, first off, is grace happens. Grace is one of those words that, that we throw around not always understanding what it means. Grace means the undeserved favor of God. It means that we get what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so this kid who spent all of dad's money, who ruined his dad's reputation in the town, walks back and his father runs at him, which in that day didn't happen. People wore robes. I couldn't think of that word for service, so I just called it the long dress thing. So people wore robes. And in that day, if you're an old man, one thing you don't do is you never pick up your robe. And so if this guy's going to run, he needs to pick up his robe. He's showing everyone, I'm going to look like a fool to make sure that this kid knows that he's welcome. And so he runs after his son. He embraces him. He kisses him. He gives him what he doesn't deserve. One of the reasons that I love doing church, that I love having being here and existing to tell people about Jesus, is that in Jesus we get what we don't deserve. All right? I wake up, I read my Bible in the morning, and I see life lived perfectly. And then I start to journal about that, and it's so hard to, to understand, okay, God, what do you want to say to me in the midst of these things that I failed on? And I get, you're my son who I love. This is what I have for you. This is the kiss that I have for you. This is the embrace that I have for you. I mean, let's be honest. It's more intimacy. It's more acceptance. It's more welcoming than a lot of us would be comfortable with. Instead, that's what the guy receives from his father. That's what we re-receive from God. We get what we don't deserve. And I love this part next. It's really subtle. It's really small, but it shocked me. It was huge in my life this week. So the son, he gets to his father, who's just, he's been surprisingly embraced, surprisingly kissed. And you know, he's going to go through his speech. He knows what he's got to say. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And then he gets cut off. But the father, he says to his servants, you know, he, he, there's nothing about hand motions in here, but I can tell us, like the father is hugging his son, and the son goes into his, spirit, his talk about how horrible he's been. He starts indicting himself. He starts rejecting himself. He starts criticizing himself. And the father just holds his hand over the son's mouth. And says to the servants, quick, you've all got a job to do. This is my son. So he gets grace. He gets a better relationship than he expects. Second thing he gets is he gets a new identity that silences his rejection. The son is going on. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. I don't deserve these things. I've sinned against both heaven and against you. And Jesus says, Shh, stop. Stop. He's saying you're not going to destroy your own identity while I can put it back together. That's good news. This, the father, he's not asking, what did you do? Where's my money? How many things have you done to embarrass me? He just says, you're not who you say you are. You are who I say you are. And I'm not going to treat you like a reject. I'm not going to treat you like a disappointment. I'm not going to treat you like my shame. I'm going to treat you like my son. So everything you're saying about how you don't deserve my love and my mercy and my grace, stop it. He says, I've got a new identity for you. But his father said to the servants with his hand over the son's mouth, he says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. 
So he gives him grace. He gives him a new identity and gives him forgiveness to cover his sin. This comes in the form of new clothes. It's not denying the fact that he went and he wasted all of dad's money on wild living and he's covered with pig filth. What he's doing is he's covering it so it can't be seen. He's not denying it, but he's, bring, he's not bringing it up again. He's giving the son a new way to look at himself, a new way for other people to happen. He's not denying it happened. He denied that it's still there, that it's still a stain. Saying this is no longer your identity. This is no longer the way that you should smell. This is no longer the way that you should do life because I have forgiveness for you which covers you. And for us, that's still 100% true today as it was true in that day that as we come to Jesus and we meet forgiveness, our old life is washed away. Our old labels, our old identity, the way that we used to talk about ourselves, our old addictions, our old habits are wiped away. The way that we used to do life dies in the face of Jesus because he fills us with forgiveness. He says, I've got new clothes for you. I've got a new way for you to live that's better than your old way. You don't have to smell like pigs anymore. Now you're smelling like the family. And he offers him new life. He says, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. It's new life. He says, if you're going to live with me, it's going to be a party. If you're going to live with me, it's going to be a a fiesta because we're excited about what has happened. We're excited that you were dead and now you're found, that you're back to life. There's no message in there about shame. There's no message about guilt. It's a message of forgiveness and new life. And I look at that and I think one of the big hang-ups that people have about following God is the list of rules that it entails. But what it is really is it's our Heavenly Father inviting us into a relationship with us, saying, welcome back to the family. Here's your new life. Here's a ring for your finger. Here's sandals for your feet. Here's clothes to take off your old life and put on the life that I have for you. And this is the life that I have for you now. You know one person who didn't care about the rules, one person who didn't care about the the itch of the finger or the way that the sandals don't fit anymore or the tags sticking out still on the shirt is the kid who just put him back on for the first time. Is the person who stepped from death to life, the person who stepped from outcast to accepted, the person who went from disgraceful to full of love. He experiences the love of his father and everything changes for him. Church, we're here today because we have a God that loves us recklessly, that loves us scandalously to the point where the way that God loves us is so deep and so rich and so intimate that we can think, you know what, that's a little too much for me. That God chases after us with a heart that is so good that it causes us to look at ourselves, to feel guilt, to feel shame and say, is that really all that God feels for me? The answer is yes, yes even to the point of him looking bad to chase after us because there's nothing that gives God more joy, more celebration in heaven than seeing men and women like us say, okay, Jesus, I'm following you today. I'm following you. If you've never made that decision, today's gonna be your day. Let's stand and let's close.